Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Now, this morning, we're going to walk down the road of Good Friday with Jesus. We're going to tell the story of Jesus and Good Friday in three chapters. We're going to start where we left off last week, Jesus and his trial in front of Pilate, and end up in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, like a lot of scripture. Perhaps more than you're used to us reading in, in just one service, I will interject some thoughts in the midst of Scripture, but we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture today. We're going to read from all four Gospels. So today I'm going to do my best to stay out of the way and allow the Word of God to minister to us today and to paint the picture of Good Friday for us. And so as we begin, I want to invite you to allow the Word of God to speak to you today. Jesus has been abandoned by his disciples, left on his own to walk this path by himself. He's being shuffled back and forth between Roman and Jewish leaders as they struggle to figure out what to do with this man who the masses praised a week ago and, and now wanted dead. They send him for beatings and whippings. He's mocked. A crown of thorns is placed on his head and tears into his flesh. And eventually Jesus ends up in front of Pontius Pilate. He, he was the Roman prefect for the region. He essentially functioned like a governor or for us like, like a premier. And Pilate is questioning Jesus about who he is and what he has come here to do. And when Pilate finally asks Jesus, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, they would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. Jesus begins to speak to Pilate about this kingdom, about his kingdom. Jesus was not here for earthly accomplishment. He was here to establish something different, a different kingdom, a kingdom of heaven. And Pilate is, is very confused and conflicted on what to do. Set this man who, who in his eyes has done nothing wrong to set him free or, or this, this man who has done nothing wrong in Pilate's eyes sentence him to death. Pilate attempts to wade his way through all of this and tries to turn responsibility back over to the people by saying, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. But the people protest, saying that, that we have a law, and by that law, Jesus must die. And Pilate is the Roman appointed leader. He must carry out the Jewish law for the people. And he went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, 
where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given from above. Pilate continues to go back and forth with himself on how to deal with this situation. And eventually he relents, sending a man he knows to be innocent to his death. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning the things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man! Release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown in prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder." Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then they said to him the third time, Why, what, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be done as they requested. And he released them, the one they requested for whom rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Jesus, innocent, even Pilate says so. He can find no fault with this man, takes the place of a guilty man. Dying for this man. Barabbas is free of his sin. He is washed. He is clean. He is forgiven. Barabbas was guilty. And he knew he was guilty. Pilate knew he was guilty. All of the people knew Barabbas was guilty. He had broken the law. But Jesus was to pay the penalty in his place so that Barabbas would be released. Barabbas, the people screaming, crucify him, had no idea the picture that they were painting. The enemy who thought he was winning had no idea that this thing was taking place was, was actually a picture of what Jesus was doing for the entirety of humanity. Jesus was taking the sin and punishment that Barabbas was due and giving him his freedom and his life back. Not because of anything Barabbas did to earn it. All Barabbas had to do was accept that Jesus was going to take his punishment on himself and Barabbas could walk away a free man. Each of us is Barabbas. We each have lived a life worthy of death. And not one of us can claim any different. Then he delivered them to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away. He, bearing his cross, went to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. We started this section of the story of Good Friday with Pilate questioning Jesus about his kingship and his kingdom. 
And Jesus responds that if his kingdom was to be an earthly kingdom, the way that the people would understand it, then his servants would fight. But his kingdom is not here. It's not about the Jewish leaders and their power. It's not about Pilate and his power. It's not about Rome or Caesar and their power. Jesus' kingdom was a different kingdom, not a people group defined by land and borders. It wasn't a kingdom of Barabbas's, but in a way, it is a kingdom of Barabbas's. It's a kingdom of people condemned by the life they lived, but saved by grace. A kingdom that you and I are invited into. It's not about where you're from, not about your heritage. It's not about being born into a nation. It's about a king that wants so badly for you to come into his kingdom that he will die for you in your place. And that we don't have to be condemned any longer by his suffering, but we can be set free. And Pilate comes to recognize this when he hangs a sign on Jesus reading, The King of the Jews. Those who wanted Jesus crucified were upset, wanting it changed. But Pilate said, I know what I wrote. Jesus was a king. Jesus is a king. He is our king. Pilate has given up trying to protect Jesus from the mob. And and Jesus is now on the road to his death. And it's a terrible road. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews! They said they spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him in the head again and again After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him, beating him, mocking him, spitting on him, a crown of thorns placed on his head. And Jesus is led off to be crucified, to be killed, to be crucified. The condemned man was bound with his arms outstretched to the crossbeam or nailed to it firmly through the wrists. The crossbeam was then raised against the upright shaft, sometimes bound as high as nine to twelve feet from the ground. Next, the feet were tightly bound or nailed to the upright shaft. Over the criminal's head, a sign was placed stating his name and his crime. Ultimately, death occurred through a combination of constrained blood circulation, organ failure, and asphyxiation as the body strains under its own weight. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In that same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now off of the cross and we will all believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Everyone 
is insulting Jesus, is mocking him. Even the men who were being crucified with him found time and energy in their immense pain and suffering to mock Jesus. The emotional and psychological torture was ever present as the physical pain and torment was. But when we take our eyes off of everything going on around Jesus and we focus just on Jesus, in, in the midst of his emotional and physical destruction that we see taking place, where was Jesus' heart? Where was his mind and his soul? In this moment, we get this incredible picture of Jesus and his heart for all mankind. In the center of this story is Jesus. The story has always been about Jesus. And when we see Jesus at the center of this story, even in the worst, most unbelievable moments to ever happen, Jesus has grace. His heart was somehow full of love and care for people, care for his mother. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, said to her Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. We saw his care for those dying with him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we're getting, but where our what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then most amazingly, somehow his heart was full of love and compassion and forgiveness for all of those gathered. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Those who were gathered cheering his death, forgive them. Those that beat him, Father, forgive them. Those who mocked them, Father, forgive them. All those who were responsible for Jesus being in this place, Father, forgive them. And Jesus' heart towards them is full of love and compassion. Jesus knew why he was dying. He was dying for everyone gathered that day. He was dying for the sin in the world that caused him to be where he was. Paul, the Apostle Paul, will say this about Jesus and his relationship with the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame. Jesus knew everything he would face. He knew everything he was going to endure. He knew the hurt, the physical and emotional torture and pain. He knew all the pain and the scars that he was going to go through. But he did it. He endured the cross, the pain and the beatings, everything, even unto death, for the joy that was set before him. That joy was you and I. His love for you 
and I motivated him to walk through all of this. Jesus would say this, greater love has none than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, immense love for you and for me, for all of us, caused him to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus hangs on a cross with these two thieves. The death of a criminal for the Son of God sent to save mankind. But grace and mercy are so at the core of who God is. We see Jesus interceding on behalf of those mocking him, beating him and killing him, asking his Father to forgive them because they have no idea what it is that they're doing. And then what was always going to happen, happens. Those who are against Jesus, wanting to see him dead, they get what they wanted. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some who stood by when they heard that said, look, for he's calling to Elijah. Then others, then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he breathed his last. The book of John adds some more details to Mark's account. After this, knowing that all were completed, and that scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And Matthew, Mark and Luke all record a Roman centurion who was witnessing all of this come to play and a realization of what had just taken place. So when the centurion saw, or so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. And Jesus hangs on a cross and eventually his earthly body succumbs to the pain, the blood loss, the blunt force trauma, the dehydration and the suffocation. And he dies. Jesus is dead. The Messiah is dead. The Son of God, the Son of Man, was dead. The beatings, the torture, everything that Jesus had gone through has now taken its toll. Jesus breathed his last. He committed his spirit to the hands of his Father. And Jesus dies. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Here is where many thought this story came to a conclusion. 
another false prophet, followed by some delusional people, a manufactured attempt at fulfilling prophecy, and ultimately, a footnote lost to history. No one will remember him, what he did or what he said. This is the end of Jesus. He is buried. He is no more. It is finished. He made it to the finish line. Jesus passes away. Jesus stared our collective evil and guilt and injustice and sin. He stared it in the eye and let it do its worst to him, taking him all the way to the grave. The religious leaders thought they had won. The crowd had gotten what they wanted. The devil thought he had won. But we know this is not where the story ends. While we, we believe that Jesus was human, and we believe that Jesus was God, and we believe that Jesus lived, and we believe that Jesus died, we know that this was not the end. This isn't how Jesus left life. This isn't how Jesus left earth. And this isn't how Jesus left us. It's time for the sleeper to wake. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. Let the King of Glory